Amen. Good morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 11. Before I start, I I want the body here restored to keep uh, Chris Morrow in your prayer. She's contracted COVID, and uh, just continue to lift her up in prayer. Something probably a little bit more serious than that. Uh, uh, Joanne Shabelsky continue to lift her up in prayer. Uh, she's been going through this trial, her and her husband, Rick, for about two and a half, maybe even three months now. And the doctors are being passive. Uh, they're not taking what we think and probably know is very something that's serious emergency-wise. They're just kind of dragging their feet. So pray that the Lord will open a wide and fervent door that she can go and get the, the uh, help that she needs and just lift those people up. And anyone that is going through something that are sick or shut in, keep them in prayer. And they would appreciate it. We will, would appreciate it. And that's what we're called to do. The 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, that's what we're in this morning. Jesus has gone to the Jordan Valley area around the region of Pyrea, and he goes there to get away from the Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish elite, because they're trying to kill him. And I'm sure as he gets down to Pyrea and Bethabara area, that he is being refreshed and Scripture says in chapter 9, the last verse, that many came and many believed in him. And now we're in chapter 11, and we come face to face with an old familiar enemy. And you know, the older you get, sad to say, the more familiar he becomes uh, as a little boy, I would see my mom and dad every once in a while. They go to a funeral. I would never go, but my brother and sisters would never go. We were young, and uh, we didn't know them. And if we did, we knew them from a distance. And, you know, just watching them go to funerals, and then we begin to attend some. But when you get my age, those that you grew up with, and you knew as friends, you start going to funerals more often. I was talking to my mom probably two weeks ago, and she said, you know, I thank the Lord that I'm in good health at 87 years of age. I'm doing well. But she says, but if the Lord took me today, I'd be fine with it because, you know, all my friends are gone. My husband is gone. And the people that are around me, I know from a distance, I don't have that uh, tight of a relationship. Now, of course, her children, she does. But I knew and I understood what she was saying because the older you get, that old familiar enemy becomes more familiar. You know, from the first moment a child loses their first goldfish or their first hamster, We begin to understand that death is not our friend. Death is an inescapable fact of life. Death is a ruthless enemy. It's frequently, and it frequently comes without 
warning, and it strikes without mercy. It is unrelenting. It cannot be cheated, bribed, outwitted, overcome, or eluded. Death is indiscriminate. It takes the young and the old, the poor and the rich, the sick and the healthy, the wicked and the benevolent. And of course, death is universal. We all must ultimately succumb to its darkness. Death is a harsh reality of life. But for the Christian, there should be no fear in death. Because Paul says by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. He goes on to say in verse 55 through 57, O death, where is your sting? O Hades or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death, what makes death so bad is sin. And the strength of sin, of course, is the law. But Paul goes on to say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter 11, verse 1 says, now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. In the Greek and the Aramaic, his name is Lazarus, but the Hebrew is Eleazar. Eleazar means God is my help or God is my comfort, a beautiful name. This man is from the town of Mary and her sister from the town of Bethany, and it goes on to say, this man is from the town of Mary and her sister Martha, and they abided in the area on the Mount of Olives, a beautiful place, they tell me. That's where their house is. Jesus would frequent it many of times. It was that Mary, John tells us, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. We'll see in chapter 12, John knows as he's writing this around 90 AD, he's thinking about that Gentile church in particular who understands, and he wants them to understand what Mary he's speaking of, because as we know, there's many of Marys in the Bible. He says this Mary, because remember you had that we know of Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Jose's, Mary the mother of Jesus, of course. So John makes sure we know which Mary he's speaking of. He says, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. That word sick means to cast down or to be powerless. And whatever this sickness was, because the scripture does not tell us, we find out that in four days, it's going to take his life. Therefore, Lazarus being sick, the sister sent to him saying, speaking of the Lord, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. That word love there is the Greek word phileo. The one Lord that you are fond of, the one Lord that you are friends with, This fourth gospel, the gospel of John that we're looking at, 
has many contrasts. And that's what we're looking at right now. We have to understand this is the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in Judea. And more than any other home in all of Israel, this family had received Jesus and gave him, granted him hospitality. The Bible says, Jesus says, he has, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. But every time he would cross the Kidron Valley, going to the Mount of Olives, he knew he could go to their homes and be at home and at rest. This family had received Jesus and granted him hospitality. This is the home that constantly fed him and taken care of him. So you would think of all of the homes in Israel that this tragedy would have never come to. You would think the way they treated Jesus and loved Jesus, that Jesus would have a sentinel of angels around this home protecting them from anything or any danger that would ever come their way. And yet the Holy Spirit puts in front of us this morning this beloved family, and Jesus allows them to experience in their home a severe tragedy. They said, Lord, behold, consider this. He whom you love is sick. We're not told how long the sickness lasted. The girls know it has turned for the worse, so they send a runner to Jesus. And they don't prescribe here anything because they're assuming we have the right to make this request. And because, once again, he loves Lazarus. It's his friend. They feel if they can just get this message, get this request to Jesus, he'll come in a flash, in a hurry, and Lazarus will be fine. Verse 4 tells us, when Jesus heard that, the statement that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death. He doesn't say he's not going to die, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I wonder who sent, who was sent with this message and does, as the runner come and he tells the message that, that Martha and Mary had told Jesus, as, they, as the runner leave, do they hear Jesus say, this sickness is not unto death? Does he bring that word back to Mary and Martha? If he heard, and if he did, you know they are thinking at this time when they hear it, great. Our brother will be fine. Jesus is on his way. But verse 5 tells us, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That word love there is agape. It's divine love, not just feelings, but love of a purpose. He says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. 
Don't we feel like that sometimes? Jesus, we need you. Where are you? I've been going through this for a while, but there's a delay. Lord, I'm hurting. This is a terrible situation that I'm in. And to us, he stays in a place where he was. Lord, I'm struggling with my children. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with my health, any of a myriad of issues. And it seems that Jesus stays in a different place. Verse 7 tells us, Then after this, he said to the the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, I want you to think with me. In verse 3, the commentary on the love that he has for Lazarus and Martha and Mary, it says, whom you love. Once again, phileo, fondness. Fondness or friendship would react to what's happening right away. He's my friend. I'm fond of him. Let me stop whatever I'm doing and head there and be with my friend. But you know what? Divine love waits sometimes. God's love tarries sometimes. And what's important for us to see is Mary and Martha never read the chapter before. We've read this chapter many of times. But guess what? You haven't read the rest of your chapter. We don't know what's coming down the pipe. So they are waiting. And while it seems as if the love of God tarries, I want you to listen, they will learn that that doesn't disqualify the love of God, that it doesn't mean that it's not existence. It doesn't mean that it's not working on our behalf when the Lord tarries. Jesus has told us twice in this gospel, my father is always working and I work also. And that work is in our and for our behalf. Verse 7 tells us, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, are you crazy? Paraphrasing, rabbi. Lately, the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. He had said in chapter 9 around verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Here he gives us a similar explanation. His disciples know he's going to face great danger. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What he's saying is the natural, in the natural, we understand why we work. During the day, we have light to do so. And then he says in verse 10, but if one walks in the night, 
he stumbles because the light is not in him. Second Corinthians tells us, because I'm looking at things spiritually here, God has commanded light to shine out of darkness in the same way he created the worlds. He spoke that into existence. That's how he speaks life into a believer. As believers, God has granted to us right now the opportunity to work in his vineyard. This is a privilege. We can do many things in life, and we do. We are busy people, but it's our busyness because we are doing so much for the Lord in his vineyard. That's the question. He said, the only things we do for Christ will last. Everything else is wood, hay, and stubble. Look at verse 8. He says, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? That's ministry. That's exactly what ministry is. People say, I don't have time to serve. Besides, I'm not appreciated. I have too many things to do at home, so I can't tend or attend to those who are hurting. I got news for you. That's not being busy. That's being selfish. Verse 11 tells us, these things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. By this time, I wonder, is the messenger back to the ladies? And I want us to take note. He says, our friend Lazarus. There has, no, there has not been any change to the person of Lazarus where he's at right now in Jesus' eyes. That's the way it works. He says, our friend Lazarus, but I go that I may wake him up. So to the Lord, that's all physical death is, you guys. The physical frame is sleeping. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 tells us, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I told you guys about the last funeral I went to, the saddest funeral I had, have ever been to. It just seemed like no hope was there. So sleeping is the physical frame, but we know the soul and the spirit goes to be with the Lord. Verse 12 tells us, then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was, he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And that's what we want if someone is uh, sick. It's good to sleep, but Jesus is saying, hey, no, Lazarus is dead. Even our word, and it amazes me, cemetery, comes from the Greek word kometeron, which means sleeping place. Even for the wicked, it's nothing but a sleeping place because one day the Lord will resurrect us all 
and we will be fixed in our destiny. Then Jesus said to them plainly, and these are the apostles that he has to say to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. I could, I could almost sense him saying this, but I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. It's almost he's saying, underlining, I would not have let this happen if I was there. I couldn't have bared it, my friend Lazarus, if I was there. But he says, this is going to benefit you guys. He says that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, he doesn't say, I'm glad Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad there are broken hearts all over the place. He doesn't say that. Because God, as he always does, he's doing something in all of our turmoil and, and bad, heartbroken circumstances. He is working. Martha and, Ma- and Mary wants healing, no doubt about that. But Jesus wants far more than that. Jesus wants resurrection. God's intent and purposes are always higher than ours. That's the God we serve. Because our purposes are always, whether we think they are good or not, they're always tainted by the flesh. God sees the end from the beginning. We know that, not just the circumstances. We're looking at this event that happened in their lives this morning. But we must understand these earthly groanings come to our lives also. And they come in greater measure as time goes by. He tells them in verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Matter of fact, that's what the gospel of John is written for, that you may believe, might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's God. He says, nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin. Scripture never tells us who he's a twin with. And I believe he's a twin with all of us because all of us, we say, crazy things sometimes. And that's exactly what he does here. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also. Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, that's devotion. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for days. It's no surprise to Jesus It's a surprise to Martha and Mary that it took him four days to get there. Now, the Mishnah says, Jewish oral traditions, that when a person died, the spirit hovered over the body for three days. And it would wait, the spirit, until the body will become, become, begin to decay and And then after the spirit could not recognize the body any longer, it would go away. Now, that's not biblical. That's what the Mishnah says. The Lord is waiting. Lazarus, once again, has been dead for 
four days, we need to take, in effect, the humidity, the climate, the temperature. Martha and Mary also, they've been mourning for four days. They had sent for help somewhere down the line. They had watched Lazarus worsen, and somewhere Lazarus finally takes his last breath. Verse 18 tells us, Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. They're doing the right thing. I'm sure by this time doctors have come to see Lazarus. Friends have come. They brought food. You know how it is. We do the same thing today. But yet and still, death was still victorious. And so the sisters are mourning at this time. We have to remember in this culture, there was a severe severe mourning that would go on. Usually around four days, this severe mourning would subside and then they would begin to mourn again. And, and sometimes the immediate family would mourn for 30 days. And even the poorest family, they had to hire at least one flute player and a group of mourners. So they still had to do this. And it seems like Lazarus' family were a family of means. They had a little money. And so they're doing all of this. Once again, people have come from Jerusalem. And it says in verse 20, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. From the Mount of Olives, you could see travelers coming and going from Jericho's road. Because remember, there was a set they had to go through from that area from Pyrea up which was about 2,500 feet. So when they recognized Jesus and his boys, they went and told Martha. And it seems she just gets up. She doesn't even let her sister Mary know. She just runs out to meet him. And it says in verse 21, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord. And this is curios, which could mean Jehovah or Yahweh, but at this time, I'm thinking it's also meant for sir. And I believe that's what they're saying here. Sir, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we don't know the tone of Martha's voice here. She could have either said that with remorse or with reproof. Reproof, Lord, if you'd been here, Lazarus, my brother, wouldn't have died. Or Lord... If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. How would you guys have said it? Or how have you said it? We've all lost a loved one. It matters to Jesus how we say it. Either way, it's a circumstance that we will all have to face one day. And it's really the argument of secondary causes. She's saying, Lord, where were you? Why this unkind lateness? That's not like you. This unkind heartache. When we lose a family member or friend, we go through that thought process. I know I went with it through my dad, with my dad. 
maybe we should have taken him to a different surgeon. Maybe if only we would have caught the symptoms earlier and we go through these uh, secondary causes. Maybe if I would have prayed and fasted. But ultimately, if we are who we say we are, a believer in Jesus Christ, we must fall back always on the truth of the word. Lord, it's your will. But it's hard when our hearts are broken because of the circumstances of life. For everyone in this room, whether it's a death of a loved one or circumstances that you know are not going the right way and you're praying, Lord, please change your heart before devastation comes. What could I have done better? Maybe I could have been a better parent. Maybe I I was too tough on my kids or too lenient on my kids. We have to fall back on, Lord, this is your will. These are those initial arguments of secondary causes. And so often what we have to do, we have to yield to the sovereignty of God. And that's very painful at times. And the problem is, it's hard to reconcile. I know God loves me. I know that. I know he is all-powerful, so he can change the situation, the circumstance, anytime he wants to. And I have placed all of my trust in him. But in times like this, It's hard to reconcile those kinds of circumstances. And it's hard for Martha and Mary to reconcile the death of their brother with the one who loved him. That was the catchphrase. Go tell him. The one he loves is sick. That he had shown so much hospitality to. I know they still love Jesus. But like us, when difficulty comes in our lives, we say, Lord, if you had been here, and then you can fill in the blank in whatever thing you're going on. I understand what she's saying in verse 21, but I lose track of her thoughts in verse 22. But even now, Martha says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I don't think she's anticipating resurrection at all here. But she's just leaning on the goodness of God. Because she says in verse 39, the latter part of it, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. So she's not thinking about uh, resurrection or really resuscitation because he will die again. Verse 22 tells us, she says, but even now I know, and that's I do, I have knowledge of. What you're telling me, I understand that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Peering into her beautiful eyes, she's peering into the eyes of Jehovah God, and he says, your brother 
will rise again. Martha knows. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that. But my heart is still broken. And as believers in Jesus Christ, when sickness or death comes, and it will, our problem is usually not a theological problem. We know the word. We know that death is going to come if Jesus Christ tarries. And those that have given their lives, repented of their sins and given their lives to Jesus Christ, they're in a much better place. But the problem is I'm hurting. My heart is broken. I can't speak and have a conversation with my brother or my dad any longer. And every once in a while, I'm ambushed. And I'm saying, Daddy, if you were here, you would understand. You would understand why me and my mom don't get along so well, Daddy. And because Daddy said, yeah, the reason y'all don't get along so well, because y'all are just alike. <laughs> so he, I would go to him. He said, you guys are just alike. But your mom loves you. I know she loves me, and I love her. And I can just share my heart with my dad or my brother. I don't have that. So it's not a theological problem. It's not a theological issue. I know where they are. And that's not Martha's issue either. She has a broken heart. She says, I understand he's going to rise again, but... I'm saddened by his death. The loneliness is still there. Jesus said to her, his last of his seventh I am's, ego emes, I am Yahweh. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life you're looking at, he's a person and he's me. That's what he's trying to get to her. And in regards to your statement, he who believes in me. Watch what he says. Though he may die, he shall live. Everyone who's a believer should say hallelujah about that. We don't sorrow as the world sorrow, as if we have no hope. And he goes on to say, and whoever lives, and, and, and what he does, he, he, he brings the microscope closer. He says, if you die, you will still live, but that's really not what it is. This is how it is. You live, and you will continuously live if you're believed. He said, he shall live, and whoever lives, been born again, and believes in me, shall never die. Once again, terrible Greek, perfect Greek, but terrible English, because literally it says, will not not die. That's why he says in the English, we'll never die. So the question for all of us this morning, do you believe this? That's what he's asking. That's what he asked 2,000 years ago. That's what he's asking this morning. Do you believe this? He's speaking to us right now. Once again, true enough, this space suit will collapse one day. It will wear out, and it's presently wearing out right now. I feel it. I understand it. When I wake up in the morning, when I hit my feet, hit the floor, my ankles hurt. I understand those things. It's presently wearing out. Daniel, I think in chapter 7, 
calls it a carcass. He calls it a sheath. But the sheath protects what? The sword. And Daniel calls it a sheath because the important part is not the sheath, but the sword. The important part is not this space suit. It's what's inside of it. That's who I am. That's who you are. Don't take too much stock if you become overweight like me. Don't put too much stock if you're not six foot three like I am. (laughs) You know better than that. Don't put so much stock if you lose your hair like I have because it's a space suit. It wears out. That's what Jesus is wanting them to understand. So he begins to discuss theology with Martha. Because once again, Martha is practical. But Mary is different. And he deals with her in a different way. Matter of fact, look at verse 33. It says this. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, speaking of Mary... And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. His answer to Mary is nothing but tears. I told you guys before, speaking of Erica, my daughter, who has a liver, has had a liver transplant. And she, I tell you, she keeps heating pads on her and she's just wrapped up all the time and she's losing her eyesight. And, she, and every morning when she gets up, she goes downstairs and she gets her Bible and she studies her Bible. And she says, sometimes, Daddy, I have bad days. And sometimes she says, I'll just start crying a little bit. And God will come and he'll say, I know. I know, I know what you're going through. I feel your pain. I'm right there with you, but I'm going to succor you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to give you grace to get through whatever you have to go through. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus lets Mary know, I understand what you're going through because I've left eternity to step into time, and I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to be separated from my father. So I understand. And you, we, even when we lose a loved one, we could never fathom that, what he was separated from for those three and a half days. So he says, I know, I understand. Don't ever think that whatever you're going through, whatever road you have to go on, that the Lord does not understand, that the Lord does not love you, that the Lord is not there because he is. And if you're standing or if you're on your knees weeping, he's right there weeping with you. That's how the scripture reads, and I'll die believing in it. He says, I understand. In our brokenness, in our pain, he understands us better than anyone. When we have almost lost hope because 
children may be going astray and the job, you've lost a job and, and you don't know how ends are going to meet and the marriage is sideways. God understands and he's working on our behalf. And he comes in those moments of sadness and loneliness and heartache. And he is there to provide us in those moments with everything we need. We might be standing, we might be serving, and we might say, I don't even know how I'm doing this. Well, I'm here to tell you it's the grace of God. Because if you didn't have him, you'd you'd be still in the bed with the covers over your head crying about my situation. That's how you do that. He loves us, and he knows our feelings. He knows how we process things differently. God individualizes his care. He knows that Martha is some, she's pragmatic, she's practical, she wants to know how this thing is going to work out. He tells her about the scriptures. Mary is more sensitive. She just wants to be loved and hugged on, and and she wants to know that everything is going to be all right, and he does that with her. God uh, compartmentalizes every one of us. He knows because he understands that we all are individuals. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he comes to us in different ways, and he satisfies us because of our makeup. He knows what to do. It's not a one-size-fit-all. God has not forgotten about you, about us this morning. He says in verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, speaking to Martha, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. This is a bold statement. This is a great statement because in the synoptic gospels, when Peter makes this announcement, remember what he says? The great king says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, has revealed this to you. She says the same thing here. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. And then she goes one step farther. The son of God, you are God. That's what she's saying here, who has come into the world. And when she had, imagine the only reason Martha knows this, and I'm sure her sister Mary knows this, is because they would open the door and allow Jesus to come in and abide in their home. Nothing's changed. You don't think Martha, Mary, Lazarus was busy? They were busy, but they had time. They carved out time. Come on in. Teach us. Teach us. That's how she knows this. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly, tried to do it secretly, called Mary, her sister. Remember, she's in the house. The teacher, the master has come. And is calling for you. Wow. Jesus is calling. Mm. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews 
who were with her. Usually, once again, in the fourth gospel, when they, would, when they speak of the Jews, it's usually the religious leaders and the antagonists they're speaking of. But here, it's not. It's their friends. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there, which tells us she was already weeping. But they're wrong about this. They're not going to the tomb. She's not going to the tomb. She's running to the feet of her Savior, the best place she could go. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can see the girls have been talking. They say the same thing here. Mary is intriguing to me. Mary is a worshiper of Jesus Christ because in the scriptures, she's always at the feet of Jesus. She benefits first by listening to him teach in Mark 10. While Martha, once again, she's complaining because her sister is not helping her. Jesus says, Mary has chosen that good part. And he says, which will not be taken away from her. We find her at Jesus' feet once again in chapter 12 in her devotion of worship. So she loves to be at the feet of Jesus, the best place we could ever be. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. He knew exactly where Lazarus was. But what he wanted to do is to take this crowd from where they were at to the tomb of Lazarus. It says he groaned. That word groaned speaks for indignation. It indicates displeasure of some kind. It's the same word used in Mark 14, 4, as he goes to Simon the leper's house, and Simon begins to complain once again when this ointment is poured on Jesus' head. It says this, but there was some, and it was the, one of the some anyway, were Simon, who were indignant, displeasure, among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Once again, it speaks of anger. It says he groaned in the spirit and, and was troubled. That word trouble is emotionally to be moved or distressed. But my question is, what is the cause of this distress or this displeasure? Now, some have suggested that because of the people around him, their, their lack of faith, their unbelief, he's displeased with that. But he doesn't seem that way with Martha. And once again, Martha's problem was not so much incomplete faith as it was with incomplete knowledge. She did not understand what was going on. Verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Once again, imagine Jehovah God weeping. And he is not weeping for Lazarus. 
because he knows he's going to resuscitate him in a few verses. And I believe he's weeping over the death of, of death itself because we know that death was not a part of the Godhead's original plan. It tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So you have the architect here mourning over the destruction of what he's made, how it's been marred already. Think today when he looks at man, how marred we are, image bearers of God. Romans 5.12 tells us, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. As I told you before, King sin, queen death, those two reign, and they will reign until Jesus comes. So the divine sculpture is broken over that which he has created in his image and in his likeness. There is no longer any resemblance of what he has created. Remember on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rise into Jerusalem and he wept over, he says this in Matthew 23, 38 and 39. See, your house is left to you desolate. And as surely I say to you, you shall not see me until time, the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know God is omniscient. And no doubt, those tears that Jesus cries at Bethany, he cries through the century of everyone who doesn't come to him by faith, who doesn't repent of his sins and give his, their lives to Jesus Christ. He's crying for all of those. So these tears, they're not for Lazarus, but for all of those who would not repent. And as of now, you would see as everything that's going on, it was seen that death has won. And I love Revelation chapter 21 when Jesus has everything the way he wants it. He, then he says, and there will be the first thing he talks about, speaks of, no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I cannot wait. But here it says he wept. Verse 36, then the Jews says, see how he loved him. See how he was fond of him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaning in himself, this anger again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. The Greeks call, call it a sarcophagus. And what they would do, the Mishnah tells us, if you were wealthy, often they would carve out a crypt out of solid rock, and they would lay the body into that crypt. It was almost like a big bathtub sometimes, and they would lay your body there. But this family, once again, was kind of a wealthy family, so they had bought this cave, and they go in, and they carve out of the rocks of a cage, cave a ledge, and they would lay the body on that ledge. And when a person would die, first 
the body would be washed by the holy society. They call that Shevroth Kadash. Remember Dorcas, Acts 9.37 tells us, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. The Mishnah and the Talmud tells us, speaking of the procedure of the washing of the body, they would wash the body from head to toe. Two or three times they'd wash the body. Then they would go into that cave or that crypt and they would lay this cloth of linen down first. It was called the tekranine and it was the shroud. And then they would lay the body on that shroud. And then, of course, they would put the herbs and the, and the ointment and all those things on the body, trying to hurry up the process. And then that, that, trout, that shroud was about uh, two times longer than the body. So they would wrap it from head to toe, tie a knot, tie the feet together, tie the hands together, and tie the arms together. And then they would put the body in the cave, roll the the rock over it, and they would come back after two years. And when they would go into the cave or the crypt, nothing but bones. And they would sweep those bones up into a box or ossuary, and they would keep that box. They would either take it home, keep it in the cave, keep it in the crypt, because they would use that every time a family member would pass. That's why they would call the sarcophagus a flesh eater. That's exactly what happens here. And it says in verse 38, he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, I love the King James, he stinketh, <laughs> for he had been, had, had been dead for four days. She says, by this time, He is decayed. Decomposition has set in. Jesus says, take the stone away. Notice how Jesus allows them to take part of this. Jesus could have thrown the stone away like a frizz, but he said, no, you guys, take this stone away. We always talk about revival. Lord, send me a revival to Calvary Restore, send the revival to me. And what the Lord is saying, this depiction to me, what he's saying, if you remove the stone, if you remove whatever that thing is that's blocking your relationship with me, if you remove it, I'll bring revival. So we take part in this thing. God allows us. He doesn't have to. He allows us to take part in it. He'll produce revival then, but I want us to understand why it was four days. Once again, remember when he went into uh, to Dorcas's house, we don't know how long she had been passed, hour, two hours, Talitha Kumai, Little lamb, arise. He takes her by the hand and lifts her up. No big deal. She was only dead for two hours. Maybe she really wasn't dead. 
He goes as he goes into uh, the city of Nain and the, and the beer is coming out with a funeral procession. Remember, he touches the beer, the Bible says, the coffin. And the widow of Nain's son comes out of there. That would, that would, I would have loved to see that. I may have been running as I was looking back, but I would have loved to seen it. They had just washed the body the same day, so it wasn't that long. God is always working. God wants our faith to grow. So he says, okay, Lazarus has died. We're going to chill out here. We're going to give it four days. So when I come, because I want to, he told us, I want to glorify my father, and I want to bring glory to me when I glorify the father. We're going to give it four days because we know what the Talmud says. After four days, there's no hope. He's not, she's not coming up out of this. The spirit has departed. And he waits, and he waits, and he goes in four days. By this time, rigor mortis has set in. By the end of 48 hours, all of the joints, all of the ligaments, all of the tendons have loosened. Bacteria that normally works for us is working against us. By this time, in four days, the eyeballs are collapsed. By four days, the brain that we glorify in has just become mush. The back of the body in four days is all black and the top of the body is yellow. The spirit cannot recognize it. He's departed. She's departed. And Jesus, our hero, steps into the place with all of that. There's no way this is going to happen. I tell you this not to be gross. I tell you this once again that this space suit does not define us. It's not who we are. The enemy likes to pit us one against another. It's who's inside of us, who makes us who we are. It does not matter the color of your skin, how tall, how short, how big, how small. No, 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 no. It's who's inside of us that God. That's why when you're born again, the innermost part of the man has to relate to God. He quickens that spirit. If we have faith, if we repent and we believe, my body doesn't change. I'm still just a short little black guy. But, oh, what's on the inside? That's what's changed. If believers could ever really grasp that, L.A. Fitness wouldn't have believers in it. All of these other uh, workout places, they'd go broke because a lot of believers are in there. We, but we have to understand that. God loves us for who we are on the inside, who he relates to. Those that worship him must worship him how? Yeah. <laughs> Says nothing about the flesh. Uh-uh. This space suit is nothing. He wants them to understand that. Jesus, I'm almost ready to close. Jesus we read about him going into villages, healing the entire village, 
Heal, speaking a word, touching, just healing people. But the scripture says he only raised from the dead three. My view on that is because Lazarus has been in Abraham's bosom now, in paradise for four days. You think he wants to come back? (laughs) No, he doesn't. All of a sudden, Lazarus is worshiping Yahweh God worshiping, not worshiping the angels, but the angels are there in paradise doing all of that, glorifying God. Someone taps him on the shoulder and says, there's been a recall. You've got to go back. (laughs) What? No, 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 no. I'm I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Who would want to come back? And I know what they mean by it when people say, Oh, I'm sure so-and-so is looking down on you. No, no, no. They find out what eyeballs and ears are for when you get to the kingdom. All you want to do is look on the king of kings and lord of lords. The apostle Paul said, you know, I don't believe so much of all these people who have these near-death experiences or death and they die and come back and they write about all these things, what happened and what they saw. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, went into the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 3 and 4, he says this, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to even utter. Now, if he didn't tell us what he saw and everything that was going on, I don't know about the other guys. But I'm about finished. Verse 40 tells us, she says, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see, what is he talking about? This is his aim, the glory of God. That's what every believer should live, live for, the glory of God. In good times or bad times, in sad times, in sickness, in health. We should live, Victor put the mirror on me especially, we should live for the glory of God. That's the only reason we're here. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, with tears streaming down his eyes, because remember when Mary comes with the crowd and they're all weeping, that was audible uh, weeping. The word for, for what Jesus is doing, tears is just flowing. He looks up into heaven and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Wow. Then he goes deeper, and I know that you always hear me. That's that's refrigerator verse material right there. Because what do we do? Lord, do you hear me? The situation hasn't changed. I wanted to Do you hear me? Do you care? We should post that right there. I know that you always hear me. That's our great high priest. That's our advocate, our defense attorney. Hebrew tells us he ever lives to make intercession for us. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he has said these things, he cried. Carazzo, with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
He cries with this loud voice because he's gotten a crowd where he wants to. Remember, he said, Talitha kumai, little lamb arise. He didn't scream there. He didn't scream when he touched a beer and the widow of Nain's son resurrected, resuscitated. But he has this crowd, and I'm sure many people in this crowd was unbelievers because he says that. He wants them to know he has said in chapter 5, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, now let me prove it to you. All authority has been given to me, and he wants them to know. Those whose hearts are open will believe. And that's what he says, and that's why he does it. The sovereign God cries out to this omnipotent summons for Lazarus. He tells us in verse 44, and he who had died came out, (laughs) bound hand and foot with grave clothes, probably fussing the whole time. Who called me back? And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Once again, the Lord allows us to participate in his work, not in resurrection. That happens by an omnipotent God. But we should be disciples. We should be teaching. We should be praying for those new believers and even those that should be mature by now that, that are not. We should be ministering. God honors that. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, the worship team can come up, and had seen the things Jesus did, notice what it said, believed in him. Wow, if that would have been the end of it. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Seven days, seven days from what goes down right here, he will be crucified. He knows that. And in all of what he's still doing, he's working. He's trying to call sinners unto repentance. That's what it's all about. That's why we are born again. We, and I'll put the mirror on me, we should be calling sinners unto repentance. And we should be doing it in love and compassion And praying more than anything, Lord, would you open their eyes, the heart of their understanding? Why? Because if you could stand there and watch God call a man who has been in the grave four days out of the tomb and still some leave there and not believe, the God of this world has blinded our eyes that they might not see the glory of God. And the only thing that can change that is prayer. And that's what we should be doing, praying, you guys, that the Lord would open their eyes. I want you to understand that God has not forgotten about you. God loves you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you might go through. God is right there. He's faithful. He's dependable. And he gives us grace. And he's always working for our benefit, on our behalf, to lead us to a future and a hope. Let's pray. Father God, I'm glad you allowed the Holy Spirit by the vessel of John 
to write this 11th chapter. Because, Lord, we live, Jesus, you said it. In this life, we will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's what you're wanting us to know, no matter what happens. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until the end of the age. I've come to give you life and come to give it to you more abundantly. So I'm there for you. Trust me. Surrender totally to me. And revival will come. And you will learn my ways even better than you understand now. Father, I pray for anyone that's hurting, whether it's because of death of a loved one or sickness or in health, a family member that is not walking with the Lord, does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you will come and undergird them, that your grace, as the Apostle Paul said, is sufficient We might not understand what's going on. We might not know how you're going to work things out. But one thing we know, I'm reminded of David Jeremiah when he had cancer. And he said the only thing he would say in the morning when he was so worn out and he would put his feet on the floor is, Lord, I know that you are good. That's all we need to know. And that you're faithful and that you love me. And your grace is sufficient. I pray that for anyone that is hurting now, that they would trust you and lean not to their own understanding. And not my will, but your will be done because I'm here to glorify you. I pray to undergird them, strengthen them, Lord. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.